Hello and good morning. It's Tuesday, the 17th of April, 2018, which makes it tax day here in the U.S., if I'm not mistaken, or if I am, then I'm in big trouble. In any event, welcome back to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the first and only regularly updated podcast in the world dedicated entirely to autonomous cars. Today, cars talk to each other and to streetlights. Tesla's autopilot will never be perfect, and Porsche asks for money for its Mission E. All this, right now. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. So once upon a time, let's say the late 1990s, you may have remembered reading about on the then relatively nascent internets uh, about a thing called V2V and V2I. These stood for vehicle-to-vehicle and vehicle-to-infrastructure. These were communications standards that automakers were developing uh, in an effort to enable, well, vehicles to communicate with one another and indeed to the surrounding infrastructure, for instance, uh, streetlights at intersections and so on. Uh, In fact, there was some pretty good progress made. Uh, Apparently, and I didn't even know this, uh, apparently in 1999, uh, There was, in fact, a 5.9 gigahertz band that had been set aside here in the U.S. to enable precisely this. Now, till now, this bandwidth has gone essentially unused. Um, And for the most part, we haven't really heard much about this technology, which is weird because when you think about it, this actually would make for a really good stepping stone between sort of where we are now and where uh, fully autonomous cars are headed. including and especially, of course, level four and level five autonomy. So there are, I guess, two pretty clear examples that I can recall uh, automakers that were trying to sort of rule this out, and indeed one which did roll it out. Um, Actually, that's not entirely accurate. I guess two did roll them out. Uh, So one, of course, was in 2017, GM uh, rolled out vehicle-to-vehicle tech in its Cadillac CTS, um, and I know that Mercedes were, at least they had announced that they were going to roll out such communication, uh, in its Mercedes, uh, E-Class, the new E-Class for 2017, I, I think it also was, um, which basically meant that if you were driving around in a nice posh, uh, Mercedes E-Class or Cadillac CTS, well, you were effectively immunized against crashing into anyone else in their equivalently comfortable and luxurious E-Class or CTS. So all was well in the world. Everybody in a nice big fancy car would be safe from colliding with anyone else in the same fancy expensive car. Well, besides that, really not much progress has been made until now. Uh, It turns out Toyota have announced they are planning to sell vehicles in the US that will indeed talk to each other using this short range wireless tech. This will begin in 2021. This is from a, from a report over at Autoblog published today. Um, this is a really big deal, actually, because it's, you know, the, the more that the cars can communicate with one another and indeed the surrounding infrastructure, the more it's going to serve, as I say, as sort of a nice stepping stone to full autonomy. Here's why. 
full autonomy is obviously a great thing. And I mean, that's the whole point of this podcast is to kind of sort of educate and discuss and sort of debate on the merits and the obvious pros and cons as we sort of roll out this new tech. Um, but it's also a really difficult thing to get right. I once quipped that, come on, uh, you know, being able to slam on the brakes when there's a pedestrian in the shadows, that's not exactly rocket science. And then I kind of bit my tongue because it kind of is. I mean, in many ways, this autonomous car tech is brutally, brain-bleedingly difficult stuff to get right. Um, you know, first, with respect to all the sensor technologies, whether you're using uh you know, uh, camera vision or radar or, of course, LIDAR, or in the case of Tesla, just not using LIDAR at all, relying only on uh, camera vision uh, and radar. Um, you know, this is a really, really tricky bit of kit. So um, I think that by enabling vehicle-to-vehicle and indeed vehicle-to-infrastructure communication, this will just be a really profound sort of, uh, what, should, what word shall I use, uh, sort of an assistance, right? Um, and it kind of just bridges that gap, as I keep saying, sort of between where we are now and eventual full autonomy in the next several years. Does that mean that it's effectively going to be too little too late? Is it plausible that at some point this sort of uh, ability to, to, to communicate between vehicles and indeed between vehicles and infrastructure, will this be kind of a moot point, say 10, 20 years down the road when more and more cars are level five autonomous? Well, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't think so. Um, but let's kind of take a step back for just a moment, take kind of a high-level look at how this is all going to work and what the idea is. So to be super clear, the idea is that, you know, you've got these cars which can now communicate with one another. What this really means is that every car will be effectively uh, aware of every other car, sort of its presence uh, in space and time, um, meaning even if it can't be visibly seen, say it's around a corner or behind another vehicle or approaching an intersection, a blind intersection. Um, well, because all the cars will know where one another is or where one another are, <laughs> where they all are, um, they will then be able to avoid each other uh, even if they can't see one another. So it's sort of like this omnipotent sort of knowledge, this, this sort of awareness of where all the other vehicles are. Uh, with respect to infrastructure, it's kind of the same idea. Um, it won't be simply a matter of training cars to look at and to see, say, oh, hey, the light's red or, oh, it's green. And, oh, by the way, it's a protected left yielding kind of green or, oh, it's a, you know, it's a no right on red sort of red, like a red arrow. Uh, those kinds of things. It won't require the ability, the, the knowledge to actually read and interpret the, all that kind of signage. Um, and I guess now that I think about it, the same could be said for written signage as well. Uh, certainly it's conceivable that written signs could sort of have, uh, they could sort of broadcast the message over this, this frequency bandwidth, right, which would essentially uh, transmit the knowledge of that sign. So rather than being able to use camera vision to read uh, sort of, what, um, right lane for turning right only, uh, the sign itself could be sort of emitting that information which the car would then pick up so it'd be able to see this uh even if it couldn't i mean it would be able to understand this even if it couldn't see it i have to say from a human point of view man i wish i could actually do that as well i actually can remember at least one or two times where i ended up going through which was effectively a, a red light because there was a truck in front of me uh sort of a big rig right and as i was approaching the intersection the last thing that i saw was that the light was green not even yellow it was still green 
And because the traffic was moving so slowly and because the truck was so large, I never saw the light turn uh, yellow, let alone red. And so I continued driving along behind the truck. And it wasn't until I was actually inside the intersection that I realized, uh uh-oh, the light's red. Um, Fortunately, I never received a ticket, didn't get a red light uh, photo either. But the point is, this need to be aware of your surroundings uh, in the absence of sort of uh, visible cues, uh, that's a really big deal. Now, I know one could say that these are kind of corner cases, um, but so what? Corner cases from a huge, huge population sample are still a large number of cases, right? So so I think that this ability to do, uh, to, to have this sort of vehicle-to-vehicle and vehicle-to-infrastructure communication is actually a really, a really big thing, uh, a really big deal. And to kind of loop back now to the initial question, how does this play into sort of the deployment of full level four and level five autonomy? Is it going to be a moot point? Uh, no, I just don't think so. Um, first, it's, and so I don't think so for two and possibly three reasons, right? So first, um, as we've discussed before, it's going to be quite some time before the majority of cars are level four and certainly level five autonomous. Even as they start to roll out, they're going to roll out on sort of some streets and not other streets. So by all sort of realistic and uh, but but also conservative estimations, it's going to be roughly anywhere between sixty to eighty years before we see a majority of cars on the road uh, that are fully autonomous, and that they will be allowed and indeed required on most roads rather than just highways or just carpool lanes on highways or major boulevards and so on and so forth. So. From a timing point of view, I don't see these becoming moot anytime soon, the, the, this uh, V2V and V2I communications. Um, and so, you know, yeah, in the worst case scenario, eventually in, say, 60, 70, 80 years, maybe it'll be unnecessary. Maybe. Um, but in any event, between now and then, it's a long, long time, obviously, during which time they're going to be really, really valuable indeed. So I think what's really important is that we understand that you know, just because we're developing autonomous car tech doesn't mean that we needn't give some sort of assistance along the way. And I think this V2V and V2I technology is exactly the sort of assistance that would be that, that would be really, really helpful. I mean, just imagine right now you've got a Tesla uh, Model S or X or indeed the Model 3 with autopilot, which is arguably uh, the best or, if you prefer, the least bad uh, autonomous car system on the market currently, at least that's available for easy human consumption. Um, look, I think it would just be better if every Tesla were aware of every other Tesla's location. And indeed, if if every Tesla was aware of every other car's, every other vehicle's location. And indeed, if rather than needing to eventually read streetlights and signs, it could uh, just have this information fed to it, right? So I think I think this is a really promising thing. Uh, I'm, in fact, I've never really talked about this before, certainly not on this podcast, but I haven't even written about this before, I don't think. And now that I am talking about it... Um, I'm actually pretty shocked this isn't a thing that's sort of more, well, it's certainly not been in the news much that I've seen. Um, and I think now that we're talking about it, it really should be. So frankly, if anybody has any thoughts on this, any insight, if you have any, you know, if you've read or heard elsewhere about other companies that are doing this, and or alternatively, if you have any thoughts as to why other companies are not pursuing this, right? So I think that's a question I'll throw out there to all of you. Why is Tesla not sort of baking this into all their cars from the beginning. Why aren't certain automakers like, say, Waymo, for instance, or Tesla, or anybody else, why aren't they developing sort of an open standard that can be licensed out to every single car manufacturer? This seems to me a pretty obvious thing. 
I feel like you should be able to bundle this in with, say, Apple CarPlay or Android Auto. Just sort of bake this into every single car so that every single car has this sort of awareness. Now, I know that a lot of you are probably going to say, yeah, but look, uh, in the real world, there's going to be all sorts of concerns and difficulties, right? So, for example, um, obviously privacy and safety, I think it doesn't require... Uh, much of a leap of imagination to imagine the potential uh, safety risks. Imagine if a connected car like this gets hacked or otherwise uh, <laughs> abused or messed with. Um, that could be potentially catastrophic. Yeah, obviously there are, <clears throat> as with all new technologies, there's a lot of risks. But then we say similar things for all autonomous cars generally, right? That there's always a risk for sort of nefarious intervention, as it were. So I don't think that's a reason to sort of totally... Uh, just disregard this technology as a whole, but rather we should embrace it and figure out how to do it right. Uh, anyway, that's all I have to say on that. Do let me know what you think. Really, really curious about this. I think it's something we should return to in future episodes. And uh, But meanwhile, uh, looking forward to see what uh, Toyota rolls out in the next several years. Again, this is said to come on the market here in the US, um, let's see here, 2021. And indeed, it's expecting that most of its lineup in the US uh, will include this sort of dedicated vehicle-to-vehicle uh, -vehicle and infrastructure communication uh, by the mid-2020s. So, yeah, very exciting stuff indeed. Let me know what you think, and uh, we'll talk more about this in a future episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Tesla. By now, most of you have probably seen the news that Elon Musk has announced that Model 3 production has again been put on pause. The issue apparently is that, well, it was too reliant on robotic automation for the construction of the vehicles, and they've been running into far too many snags along the way. So they've put it on pause to kind of figure out how to resolve all the issues. Uh, the takeaway from all this, in Elon Musk's words, are that, quote-unquote, Humans are underrated. Uh, the issue was that apparently he himself is responsible, he says, for having relied too much on automation and that, uh, you know, it's, it's time to kind of take a step back a bit and really uh, engage humans more into this whole process. But that's not what we're on about here. Uh, on a related point, however, is um, a related uh, interview he gave with, uh, he had with CBS um, regarding autopilot and autopilot safety generally. So, Again, obviously, huge thing in the news following the tragic accident of the Model X um, accident on the 101 freeway in Mountain View, just south of San Francisco a few weeks ago. So I'm not going to get all into that. We've talked about this ad nauseum through the last several episodes. But um, <laughs> there is an interesting takeaway, though, from this interview where he was asked, um, you know, you know, how is autopilot generally? Uh, is it uh, is it a perfect system? Is it, you know, uh, and in any event, what's the point of autopilot if you're always required to keep your hands on the wheel? Well, Musk's answer in typical blunt Musk fashion, quote unquote, oh, it's because the probability of an accident with autopilot is just less. 
And of course, Elon Musk's whole point is that, look, obviously autopilot's not perfect, and indeed it never will be. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it's a simple engineering fact that no system can ever be 100% perfect. The issue is simply, is it better than or at least less bad than the alternative? Is it, is it an improvement over the status quo? So to further quote Musk, he goes on to say, it's important to emphasize we'll never be perfect. Nothing in the real world is perfect. But I do think that long term, it can reduce accidents by a factor of 10. So there are 10 fewer fatalities and tragedies and serious injuries. And that's really a huge difference. Um, obviously, it's, I guess it's a misquote. There, there are 10 times fewer fatalities. Um, so, and, and this certainly uh, coincides with a report from the NHTSA, the National Highway Transportation and Safety Administration. Um, they've announced that, indeed, Tesla crash rates have been reduced by a whopping 40% since the introduction of autopilot. So this is a really big thing, right? And um, you know, Tesla now has several hundred thousand vehicles on the road uh, which have autopilot. Um, so obviously we're going to hear about all the accidents that occurred with a Tesla, including and especially those involving a Tesla which has and was using autopilot, right? Because obviously that makes the news, because of course it does, and I guess arguably, of course, it should. Um, but, you know, obviously we're not going to hear about all those countless drives in a Tesla with autopilot using autopilot, it didn't occur because, well, that's not what news is about. It's not about reporting on things that didn't occur. It's about reporting things that uh, did occur. Huh. Note to self. That would be an interesting podcast, wouldn't it? A news program about things that didn't actually occur. Well, that would certainly be uplifting, if nothing else, wouldn't it? Um, in any event, so, so I think that's the really big takeaway here is that, look, indeed, nothing's going to be perfect. But, but, but to the extent that it can reduce accidents and, indeed, deaths and serious injury, that's what matters here, Right. Um, finally, this, this interview, I guess, wraps up with a question, again, looping back to the, the, the Model X accident in Mountain View. Uh, Musk just says directly, look, the system worked as described, which is that it's a hands-on system. It's not a self-driving system. So I've actually engaged in this discussion with several of my friends, uh, you know, and, and it's been pretty heated debates. In fact, one was just uh, several days ago. Uh, the, this notion that, well, you know, an autopilot system, even putting aside its name and what the name implies and, and suggests, you know, putting that aside for a moment, any system which claims to do a thing like this for a car, a thing being defined as effectively driving itself, it, it, it seems to be the takeaway from a lot of people I've spoken with that, it, that, it, that it's got to be sort of a binary solution. Either it, you know, either it's all or it's nothing, right? So either it's level five or it's nothing. And this is a whole nother discussion for potentially a whole nother uh, episode. And indeed, I think it'd be really fun to kind of loop some people in to have a live discussion on this. Um, but my, my sort of general overarching rebuttal to this is as follows. That's not a realistic claim. All technologies by definition are ramped up slowly over time. Uh, and in any event, if we look at the evolution of autopilot, it can be logically traced back, first of all, in the mid-2000s to uh, adaptive cruise control systems, which used radar, which, by the way, having tried some of the earlier systems, I have to say, they were okay. But, for instance, one of their limitations was they could only apply, say, between 
I don't know, 30 and 40% braking force. So they wouldn't even be willing to apply 100% braking force if necessary. So you really had to be on your game. You had to be really alert. So if someone cut in front of you and then sort of brake checked you, they wouldn't do so well then. Uh, and then tracing even further back still, obviously to the 90s, and even I think as far back as the 80s, right, uh, when we had cars with the first cruise control systems, um, you know, <laughs> no one said, hey, this is a cruise control system. Uh, I crashed because of it. Well, yeah, that's because you're expected to maintain control and be sort of alert and still very much responsible for your actions when you use a car with cruise control, uh, adaptive or not. And similarly with cars with lane assist, lane keep assist, right? You still got to pay attention, sort of, you're fully responsible for what the car does. Well, it's the exact same thing with autopilot. I mean, unless and until we finally reach level five autonomy, which will occur in the next few years, meaning unless, you know, you're actually in a car without a steering wheel and gas pedals, um, you know, that, that you're, you're going to be responsible. It's just the way it is. Um, and, and I have to say, I, I disagree with this notion that it has to be a binary solution. It's not, it shouldn't be all or nothing because having tried various cars with semi-autonomy, I say semi-autonomy, I, what I mean is sort of level two and marginal level three as with a Tesla, for instance, um, it sounds potentially more distracting than it is in real life. In practice, I've actually found it to be really, really great because what you discover when you do this is that even, even if you're still steering the car and you're just using a really advanced um, adaptive cruise control system, what I've discovered is that it turns out that most of the brain power of driving and therefore most of which causes fatigue when driving and indeed impatience, it's not the steering of the car. It turns out that's a pretty... Uh, high-level mental activity. It's pretty brainless to steer a car. Um, it turns out that the biggest uh, brain suck, as it were, the biggest sort of uh, sort of the, the action which requires the most concentration is actually applying the gas and the brake. And so when you remove that element, driving suddenly becomes far simpler and far more relaxing. And I think that's a thing that most people don't realize uh, until they've actually gone ahead and try it. So, yeah, again, having used several of these systems quite a few times now, um, I'm really a huge fan. And I just, you know, I really believe this is the way to go. Just kind of roll it out, iterate, iterate, and improve until we eventually reach level five. So those are my thoughts on, on Tesla and uh, autopilot generally. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So two quick uh, things to report on here before we wrap up this episode already going long. Uh, Porsche have, have announced that they've started taking reservations uh, for their new upcoming Mission E all-electric super uh, sports sedan. Uh, this is up in Norway, where the reservations are said to be between ten to twenty thousand kroner. That's about one thousand two hundred and fifty to twenty five hundred U.S. dollars. Um, no word yet on whether this money is going to be used for actual development, the way it was with uh, the way it was with Tesla for the Model uh, Three, and indeed for the X and even the S before it. Uh, 
Um, so far, apparently, they've taken several thousand uh, reservations. No surprise there at all. Um, so Porsche have also announced that they're rolling out a series of charging points all over the U.S. I think 500 or so is what I've read um, along highways and also Porsche dealers. Um, so again, really taking a page out of Tesla's playbook, even though Tesla isn't really their competitor, supposedly. Right. Um, also, let's not forget the price of the Mission E said to be starting around $75,000 U.S. dollars with three different trim levels. Again, kind of mirroring that of the Tesla Model S, with which it is not competing, because of course it isn't. Right. Um, one last quick thing to mention, Mercedes-Benz, not directly on point with autonomous cars, but certainly in keeping with our interest to discuss electric cars. Uh, I believe I mentioned in a previous episode that Mercedes are rolling out a new series, a new class of vehicle called the EQ series. So in the same way that the GLs are now the SUVs with the third letter in the name uh, reflecting the model class upon which it's based, hence GLA is on the A class, GLC is based on the C class, GLS, what was once simply the GL, is the SUV version of the S-Class. Well, now there is an all-electric EQ model class lineup. Uh, We recently, I think, mentioned that there's going to be an EQC SUV. Well, turns out there's also going to be a new EQS. This, of course, will be the all-electric version of the S-Class. Now, without any doubt in my mind whatsoever, uh, both the EQC and especially the EQS will almost certainly uh, bundle in with the all-electric drivetrain, the latest and greatest of uh, the Mercedes, um, well, I guess now they call it the, uh, the uh, good grief, I just forgot the name of it, uh, the, uh, the uh, Mercedes Disctronic Plus and Drive Pilot. Sorry, my brain froze up on the names there. I had to look those up. Um, yeah, so the Drive Pilot, of course, is Mercedes' take on an autopilot type of functionality. So, With no doubt in my mind whatsoever, these will definitely bundle in the latest and greatest iterations of those technologies. Um, Current drive pilot is actually really good. I haven't driven it, have read about it a lot, uh, but certainly it's going to be, it's got to be a marked improvement over the Disktronic Plus with Lane Keep Assist, which is something that I've tried quite a bit. And that actually works quite well indeed. So uh, I think safe to say that the 2020 EQS and EQC by Mercedes should offer really competent level three capabilities, uh, certainly on par with what Tesla are doing today and potentially keeping up with where they're going to be in 2020. So really exciting stuff, this. Uh, Looking forward to see what they roll out. All right, so that's a wrap. Uh, Sorry to have missed a few days. Uh, The last episode, of course, back on Thursday. But, um, you know, I think it's important that we always record episodes, if and only if there's actually a lot of good juicy, newsworthy stuff to discuss, because otherwise, why would we do it? Um, Anyway, thanks so much for listening to this, the 21st episode of Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue. We've now nearly reached two months of doing this show, so really exciting for me, and I'm glad to see you've all been enjoying it so much. Lots of great feedback rolling in. Um, As always, please be sure to subscribe on Apple's uh, iTunes podcasts. I would love it, of course, if you'd leave a five-star rating and certainly a review if you'd like. Uh, Alternatively, or in addition, you can go ahead and uh, listen over on anchor.fm. That's where I record these podcasts. The advantage there is, well, besides the fact that I get more metrics on listeners, whereas with Apple's iTunes podcast, I do not. The advantage of listening on anchor.fm is that that's how you can engage with me on these episodes. Yeah, you can actually leave me voicemail messages, um, 
at different parts along the episodes where I can actually, uh, you know, and I can listen to those messages that you leave me and then respond back to you. So uh, this then is how we can really have an engaging two-way dialogue because, again, my whole point with starting this podcast was to make sure that we did not make this just sort of a monologue, but rather a very engaging two-way dialogue. So please do be sure to consider doing that if you'd like. But in any event, as always, uh, just do go ahead and share and, uh, you know, with all your friends and colleagues. And, uh, you know, as long as you keep uh, liking this show and as long as you keep sharing it and it keeps growing, I promise to keep doing it as regularly and frequently as practicable. So um, whether that means two or three episodes a week, I don't know. So far, it seems to be hovering closer to two rather than three. But uh, that probably will be the sweet spot. But in any event, uh, that'll do it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful uh couple of days. We'll check back with you hopefully on Thursday. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.